Uh, right, let's pray in preparation for the message. Um, I need to open my slides as well, I guess. Oh, am I standing on stuff here? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, let's pray in preparation for the message this morning. Um, Heavenly Father, um, this is just a lot of my heart and a lot I'm bringing uh, up here today with me. And I, I pray that you would help me to be faithful and discerning as I uh, as I preach help me to help me to bring the gospel only um, help me to to speak your word only help me to um, not allow my opinion or my feeling or my my uh, my own foolishness and my own wisdom to, to get in the way of your wisdom and your word I pray that folks would hear from Jesus this morning that they would know Christ more that that they would walk out the door with new tools and new new um, um, preparation to to be more like Christ this this week and and in their lives, uh, and I pray just above all else that this would be a uh, you know an, that we would be a beacon for the gospel, Lord. That we would be sharing the word. That we would be telling people about Christ. That we would be bringing folks to salvation and drawing them closer to God. And, and as a body, that we would uplift each other and edify each other and and um, just exemplify the love of Jesus in everything that we do. In Christ's name. Amen. Uh, wow. When I uh, when I was in college, I, uh, I I bought my first car at a gas station for two hundred and fifty dollars, um, and it uh, it actually between the point in time when the money physically left my hand, the guy left the left the parking lot, and I drove it to the gas pump. It broke down for the first time. Um, it it was. Um, honestly, the worst car I've ever owned, and I've owned some that never ran. Um, and and so the 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 process for me that went forward is I had to learn to fix stuff because I was too poor to buy a good car, and I was too poor to pay someone to fix my junkie car. Um, and so, like the first thing I did, and actually I talked about this in my column last week, and so right now I'll know who read it and who didn't. Um, the first thing I I had to do, like I had to buy a book. And I had to read. So most of y'all are farm kids or grew up around farms, and you learn to fix things from, like, your dad, right, or your grandpa, or because it broke down and you had to take it apart and figure it out yourself, right? I, I'm the odd guy who, who bought a book, read it cover to cover ten times, and that's how I learned to fix stuff. And so the first time I was, uh, like, I, I had a major lesson I learned. I was kind of had my feet under me. I had a basic understanding of how to take things apart and put them back together. And I had this uh, Buick uh, LeSabre. I paid $500 for that car. Um, and I, uh, I, it wouldn't run because the, uh, the battery cables had started to degenerate or decompose or whatever. And so I had to replace these things. And, and so I went to the store. And this is like super easy stuff, right? I mean, like, Anybody could do this. And so I bought these cables, and I go to put them on, and I, I took science class as a kid. Everybody took science in high school, right? Um, and, and I knew from science class that electrons are labeled negative. They're always negative. And so um, the neutrons are labeled positive, right? Every time. 
And so when I went to put my battery cables on, I took that red one and I looked and I said, well, the negative is obviously where the electricity is coming from, so I'm going to put it on there. And, of course, like the neutral is going to be positive. And that made sense to me. And it continued to make sense as I watched those cables catch fire and melt. And I took them off right away, and I looked at it and scratched my head and said, well, they must not be big enough. So I unbolted them, took them back to the store, complained, and they gave me another set, larger. I went back. I installed them, yet again, knowing that negative is where electrons come from. I put my cables on, and guess what happened? The exact same thing, only this time there was more smoke um, coming off the alternator and some other places I never quite figured out. Um, then I went and got a friend. I found a wiser guy to come over, and he's looking at it, and he watches me put the cable on, and right as I'm about to drop it on, he's like, wait, and of course the smoke and the fire and everything else, and he pulled it off. He's like, dude, you're putting it on the wrong way. And I was like, no, I'm not, because this is what I learned in science class. Because I had a certain amount of book knowledge that was not practical, right? Um, about a month later, I learned another battery lesson when I was tightening something down. And I accidentally touched my wrench to the battery terminal. And you know what happened? It sparked, and it bit a little hole in the side of my wrench, and the guy who was with me said, yeah, that's a great lesson. You can, you can arc weld that. Don't do it again. And I knew the battery was dangerous, but, like, in the practical application of it, I didn't know that. And then, actually, the last lesson I'm going to talk about was underneath the car one day. I'm working on something, and I had just driven it into the parking lot. And I reached over, and my arm touched a thing called the catalytic converter. And I learned a very important lesson. And that is, I knew what the catalytic converter does, right? And I knew it gets really hot, but in a very practical sense, I didn't understand that putting my arm on it after I drove the car, even just across the campus, was a bad idea. And it scalded me. I still kind of have a little scar shadow from where it burned me. And, and I learned a very practical lesson. Now, flash forward 15 years, and I was at Russell Danruther's place out in the country, and he was working on his combine. And he's trying to unbolt something, right? And there's wheat stuff everywhere. And, you, I, I mean, we're all aware combines, like, they accumulate wheat garbage. Um, and he's trying to unbolt it, and it's super stuck. And we took two wrenches and chained them together, and it was still stuck. And I said, you know, what I would do right now is I would go and get a torch, and I would heat that bolt up and pound it with a hammer two or three times, and then it'll break right loose. And Russell looks at me like I had no idea what I was talking about. He said, yeah, generally with combines, we try not to use fire around any kind of chaff because they tend to, you know, catch fire and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I knew something, but in the practical application, I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Um, what we're going to be talking about today and next week is, um, is this little chunk of Deuteronomy and, and how... There's a difference between understanding and doing. Everybody with me? Um, there's just a difference between understanding and doing. Um, 
And, and I'll get to why that is as we dig into it. Real quick, the book of Deuteronomy, which most people avoid like the plague because it's kind of like reading the phone book. Actually, Numbers is the phone book. Deuteronomy is the local law codes. Um, it, is a, it is a rough book to read. Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons that Moses preached at the end of his life, right before the Jews go into the promised land, right? Um, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and Moses gets up and he preaches these sermons. And the book of Deuteronomy is just the collection of sermons that he preached. And so we're going to be looking at a chunk of somebody else. So I'm going to preach a sermon on someone else's sermon. Um, <laughs> We're going to just look at this little chunk of his sermon right here. Um, there was a period of time before this where the Israelites wandered around in the desert for 40 years, right? And they made it a national pastime to do one thing. It was like baseball is our national pastime or complaining on Facebook is our national pastime or, or whatever. Like their national pastime. Anybody know what it was? It was screwing up and complaining, right? They get out of the desert, or they get out of slavery in Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and the very first thing they say, before it's lunch, the first day, they say, you know what, there's nothing to eat out here, we would have been better off being slaves. And Moses turns around like, what? Dude, the Red Sea just parted, what are you talking about? Like, you, what are you doing? And they, they do not trust God, and over and over and over and over again, they wander around the desert for 40 years, Doubting everything that God is doing and complaining and complaining. It was probably like being on an eternal road trip with my children, right? Complain. Oh, he's touching me. Oh, he's crossing my side of the seat. Oh, I don't want to watch this. Oh, I want. And I think, well, I didn't get to watch TV when I was a kid in the back of the car. I had to watch the scenery go by. And it was so long ago it hadn't grown yet. And we liked it. Thanks for laughing at that. It was... Um, and so like they screwed up now flash forward to the gospels jesus in his ministry oftentimes speaks to this period and lives in relation to this period in israel's history when we look at like the temptation in the desert right so jesus goes and he fasts in the desert how long did he fast 40 days how long were the jews in the wilderness 40 years there's a parallel there. You know why? Because Jesus did everything that the Jews did, everything that the early Israelites did, only he did it without sinning to demonstrate that he was like the perfect version of them. He went through everything they went through, but he did it without screwing up. And so like we see him in Egypt for a little while, and then we see him in the desert for a little while, and we see him like over and over again. We see these examples of Christ doing things that Israel did that they just screwed up. Um, so, uh, that in mind, as we dive into this text, that's going to play in. We're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about Deuteronomy, and we go into it. <clears throat> Eight one, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land of the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. So Moses begins by saying, listen, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff be really careful you don't screw it up because you're going in the promised land. God is going to bless you. He's going to give you everything you want. It's going to be awesome. Don't screw it up, right? You know the rules, do them. Um, you know the expectations, do them. Um, and that's a big deal, right? Because they are about to go from um, the desert 
where they ate manna and drank water that came out of rocks, right, and occasionally pigeons. And they're going to go into the promised land where it's flowing with milk and honey, right, where there is opportunity and, and wealth and, and food and everything else. Like, it is a fantastic place, and they're going to go from poor to rich. Um, it'd be like me going from college to any other stage in my life, um, you know, where you have nothing, and then all of a sudden you've got stuff. And he's saying, listen, in your wealth, and we're going to get to that next week, but in your wealth, don't screw it up. Pay attention. Remember the rules. Um, remember, now here's the contrast. So you're going to where you're going to have wealth and you're going to be comfortable. Remember everything that, that you were taught. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So they've gone 40 years in the desert and God is testing them. There's a parallel here, by the way, to Job, right? Why did, like, Job basically gets tested. So his house burns down and his kids die and he gets leprosy and everything he owns gets taken away and his whole life is a big pile of garbage at the end and it's a test to see if he would betray God. And, and actually, even his wife, right, shows up and says, all right, Job, give up. Curse God and die. And Job's response was, though he slays me, still I will praise him. And so what we're going to find out here going forward is, listen, God says, listen, this last 40 years has been hardship. God has done this to know your hearts and to know what you're going to do. Did God already know that stuff? Yes. Um, is he testing them? Yes. Why? Because simply knowing something, you and I, simply knowing something, me, knowing things about electricity, right, is not the same as doing them. Um, yesterday was my mom's birthday. I've been doing ministry for a little over 20 years. I've done counseling. I've done funerals. I've done just about everything. I have, I have sat with people who have talked about anniversaries of loved ones' deaths and and all this, and it has never made sense to me that it was that upsetting. And actually, earlier this week, my wife asked me, hey, you know it's your mom's birthday. And she's like, you going to be okay? And I was like, I don't think it's that big a deal. Like, it's, I'm all right. All the way up until <laughs> I start having conversations with family members, and I start looking at stuff, and I start remembering, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel that good about life. I knew it would bother people before, but I have a very different perspective on the matter now. Does that make sense? Oftentimes, God teaches us, not through our book knowledge. The book knowledge is important, right? It's where the rubber hits the road that is really important. I know how to aim a rifle and fire it. I do know, right? Um, if you... If, if Ross was here, he would explain to you how different the knowledge of how to is from the actual accomplishment of it as he watched me, you know, burn off shot after shot after shot and missing over and over again at deer. Like, there's just a difference. The Israelites went through the process of doing at that moment, at that time, at that period. They knew God's will. They probably thought they would obey. And the entire generation died in the wilderness. 
He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that every man, or teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is, this is cool. Watch this. He says, listen, God put you in the desert. He brought you low. He humbled you. He humiliated you. He took everything away and put you in a hard position where you were hungry and where you didn't have an obvious source of food or water. You were just there. And he did this to teach you. Like, or Then he fed you manna. Manna, by the way, means what is this stuff? Right? It's uh, actually, I serve my children manna on a regular basis for dinner. <laughs> Dad, what is this? What are you making me eat? Um, that neither you nor your ancestors have known. So like this stuff, this bread from heaven that they didn't understand and that they didn't know. And they were specifically given this to teach them that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there are two ways to read this. The first way is that the bread that they were eating, this manna, is the words that come from the mouth of the Lord, and that's what they're eating, right? And that's one possible read. Um, It's a popular read. I don't think I agree with it because they basically ate the same thing every day forever, right? I, I, I spoke with a member of our church a while ago who told me that he cannot eat oatmeal for breakfast for any reason. Because he ate it every morning <laughs> for 20 years. Every morning. And now he just won't eat it. Because it's like, because eating the same thing every day, it's kind of miserable, right? It ain't fun. Nobody wants to eat oatmeal every day. Not that I'm judging anyone or saying anything about anything. I'm just giving an example. After a little while, the Jews are eating the manna and they're like, hey, God, can we at least have some ketchup? Like maybe some meat to eat with us? And God's like, all right, fine, I'll give you meat if you're going to keep complaining. And he gives them so much meat that it's coming out of their nostrils, is the literal translation. Um, And then they complain about that. Um, And the point being, guys, what you eat and what you drink and what you consume is not the most important thing. The most important thing is to hear and know the Lord. It is to hear and know the Father. And so, like, they're given this stuff so they don't have to worry about it. By the way, a really astute listener might catch the fact that Jesus talked about this in tandem and directly. In tandem, he said, hey, don't worry about what you're going to wear tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Because the birds of the air, they don't sow or reap. But God takes care of them, and you're worth more than them. Worry about, God, like, worry about God's stuff. Let, let that stuff worry. You know, God will take care of you. Is he saying don't go to work and don't, you know, don't make clothes? Don't this, don't do He's not saying that. He's saying don't let that stuff preoccupy you because it is far less important than knowing Christ. It is far less important than knowing what God has for you. It is far less important than being in God's graces and being righteous. Focus on this stuff and everything else will get taken care of. And in fact, actually, for the Jews, they had this, right? Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during the time of the 40 years. So they went this whole 40 years, like, wearing the same clothes. And they probably complained about that. And their feet didn't swell from, like, getting worn out physically. And they complained about that, probably. Um, God provided everything for them. It was subsistence, 
but he provided everything for them so that they could focus on him. Right? Now, the lesson they were supposed to learn was, in hardship, God takes care of you. Right? Now, that is an easy lesson to hear me say. It is a hard lesson when it's time to write the mortgage check and there just isn't quite enough. Right? You go to the pantry and it's empty. When you just can't figure out how to deal with your spouse anymore. When you're stuck in some cycle of sin and you just can't quite get out of it. Like, it's, it's easy to know these things all the way up until you need a life preserver and nobody's throwing it. And you're saying, all right, God, where are you? You going to throw it? You going to throw it, God? Where's, where's the life preserver? And then you say, well, maybe I can make my own. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I'll just complain. Like, at the end of the day, this is a hard lesson for the Jews. Because for them saying, hey, we don't have any water, that's not a small thing. Anybody ever gone a day or so without drinking? Anybody ever been really dehydrated? It's miserable. Anybody gone a week or two without eating? It becomes just about all you think about really quickly. Um, The reality is that they went through this time of hardship to train them, to teach them, so that they understood the truth beyond the words on the page. The reality of our actions For many of us, this is that time, right? And this is that time for different reasons. I know folks who say this is that time because grain prices just will not go back up. I haven't talked to anybody about grain prices recently, but I know last year this was a conversation, right? Costs us more to pull it out of the ground than it does to sell it. Where are you, God? Um, I know folks who are scared about the virus. I know folks who are angry about politics. I know folks who are lonely in their own homes because the people around them, like, you know, there's nothing but brokenness. I know folks who question every day what they're supposed to be doing. Where are you, God? Where are you? And they're in that doldrum, that dark night of the soul. It is hard to go through those times. But the reality is that those times teach us something that nothing else will. Um, Christ didn't die to make us happy. He died to make us holy. We grow spiritually, sometimes in good times, sometimes in hard times, right? I can tell you that the worst things I've gone through in my life have grown me spiritually. I can tell you the worst things, like if you look at the disciples' lives, the worst things they endured grew them spiritually. If you look at, like, famous people who were, like, you know, these great leaders of the church, and not today, I... I don't want to talk about anybody today. They were grown through times of hardship. Because the reality is to have faith in God doesn't mean to believe he exists. It means to believe what he says. And believing what he says doesn't mean anything until you're in the moment. Years ago, I was uh, doing a high ropes training. And I had to climb up a telephone pole. And I had to stand on top of it 40 feet in the air. And I had a rope around my waist that would hold two of my car without, like, even straining. I mean, I wasn't going to fall for any reason. And yet, the knowledge that there was no way I could fall did not make it easier to step on top of a telephone pole. I did it a hundred times before then, like, two feet off the ground. 
And then when I went to do it in 40 feet up, everything was different, right? Because the simple knowledge is not the same thing as the knowledge, the reality of the situation that we face. Um, we see this in the book of Hebrews. Hopefully I can find it. And I did not bring my glasses up here. My print is small, so you've got to be patient with me. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries, tears to him, or excuse me, and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, meaning so Christ in the garden prays and cries out, asking for God to save him from his fate. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now that word learned, you know, learned means like through practice. So he learned obedience by being obedient. Um, I can't learn to drive a combine by listening to Larry talk about it. Right? Though I've heard him talk about driving combines a million times, not a million, three or four times for long periods of time. I, I still can't do it for, for, for anything. Right? Um, <laughs> I... I can't learn to drive a car from reading about it and hearing about it. I have to sit behind the wheel. Hardship teaches us how to walk in Christ in a way that nothing else can. And so there's a degree to which we have to realize when we go through difficulty, when we experience times of hardship, of conflict in our culture, of conflict in our homes, of of spiritual emptiness, of hopelessness, that in those times we're learning. Difficulty is never about you. Isn't that a horrible idea? It's not about you. It's about how God is glorified in the growth that you like demonstrate and how you carry yourself and how you live. And so like, like Jesus deals with the blind man and he's, his disciples ask, well, is he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And Jesus says, Oh, he's not blind because of either. He's blind so God can be glorified, and then he heals him. And so the guy went his whole life blind so Jesus could heal him right then. Um, the same thing happened with Lazarus, actually. His, his uh, affliction won't end in death, rather that God would be glorified, right? And so Lazarus died, and then Jesus brought him back. Why did Lazarus die? He died so Jesus could bring him back to life. Like the reality is that everything we go through, problems in our home, um, this COVID nonsense, the, the, and I don't say nonsense to diminish it. I know it's a big deal. I'm frustrated hearing about it. And I'm frustrated that I got to talk about it today. Politics, everything else, all of this stuff is an opportunity to be Jesus to the world, to train us to be Christ, to train us to love, to sacrifice, to serve, to, to train us in humility. The desert journey was for the purpose of humbling and teaching. Know that know then that in your excuse me, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Now that word disciplines, usually that means one thing in my house. Right? <laughs> It's, uh, it's the, uh, the important conversation where I spank the children. Um, discipline in this is not just correction. It is training, right? 
in this context, God disciplines you as his son because he loves you as his daughter, as his son. Um, like, like that discipline we endure, that hardship, that difficulty, times of hunger, times of fear, times of worry, times when we are scared or frustrated and it's just resulting in us being angry. Those are opportunities to learn to love like Christ did. To back up and ask, first and foremost, over and over and over again, how do I be Christ's ambassador today? How do I be a slave to Christ today? How do I put my own desires for good food aside, eat the manna, and then consume the words that come from the mouth of God? How do I become that guy? Observe the commands. So he's saying, listen, obey, revere, be God's people um, and know that the hardship you go through, the difficulty you go through, the days of, of emptiness and hopelessness, they're there so you can learn to be like Christ. It's the same thing he endured on the cross. Same thing he endured in the desert when he turned to Satan. He said, hey, I'm not going to turn the stones into bread because man does not live on bread alone, but, by on every, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why is Jesus saying it? He's saying it because like, he's there to obey. He doesn't need food. He needs the Father. He's learning that that's more important than food. He was, he was fasting to be close to God. He was fasting to put himself off of that. Um, last couple of verses. I know I'm a little long, but I actually started late. So, And that's James's fault. Uh, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And so what's going on here, and the next half of this sermon is this, or this series is this. Um, They've been living in hardship, and they're learning to be obedient in hardship. That's hard, right? I I really love, um, like, everything Tom Hanks does about World War II. (laughs) Like, I I watched, uh, he has a new one that just came out about, like, this destroyer that's protecting a unit, you know, a collection of ships on the open sea from U-boats. And the guy who is the commander starts his morning praying and asking for God to take care of him. We see him praying throughout the, the film. We see him struggling and bleeding and exhausted and hungry and continuing to do his job to protect the people that he's there to protect. He talks about being their shepherd and everything else. And like he learned obedience in that difficulty. He learned to trust God in the difficulty. And that is a whole thing. Because a lot of times people, when they encounter difficulty, they get angry and they complain or they go buy all the toilet paper at the local grocery store or they, you know, whatever, because I have to be comfortable and somebody better get the manager over here until I am, right? The other end of that is when good times hit, it tests us in a new way, right? Is that hard times create strong men, Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. And there's a cycle to it. Um, Here we're going to see where they arrive in the promised land and they encounter the challenge of remembering God when things are good. Because good times make you forgetful. Right? They do. 
my encouragement to you, and I really wish I had a quote, and I can't find it now, and it made me very frustrated this morning I couldn't find it, where um, it was Charles Spurgeon said, um, the best thing that God can give you is good health, right next to him giving you bad health. Because the best thing you can get is bad health. The best thing you can get is weakness. Because then you have to trust God. That's why Paul said, I will rejoice in weakness. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God's made, God's strength is made complete in my weakness. Like everything we encounter right now, guys. Everything. All of this garbage we're going through. The whole 2020 thing. It should be the best time of our lives. Because we're learning lessons we don't get to learn in America. And they're easy lessons compared to what the rest of the world goes through. My challenge for you today, my encouragement, my, my push is, are you going through this time of frustration and anger and everything else as Christ's representative? Are you reflecting the gospel? Are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are your words building the body? Are your actions building people up? Are people encountering Christ through you? Or are they encountering a jerk they want nothing to do with? I'm closing prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. Um, I pray that you'd give us um, that you'd give us whatever your will desires that we receive, Lord, and that that your Spirit would move us through this time of training, this time of basic training. Um, in our spirituality, that we would grow to rely on you, that we would grow to resist our sinful inclination to speak without thinking um, or to be angry without reason because we know that the anger of men does not produce you know, the righteousness of God. Like, I pray, Lord, that you would be with us in this period. Help us to be the body of Christ. Help us to not be divided. Help us to, to over and over again come back to the cross looking for you. In Christ's name, amen.